0: marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com
1: hello we are back for another fun old tennis podcast my word calvin has arrived in record time calvin you've made it on time almost
0: yeah i'm here That's astonishing.
1: (laughs) So, in the last four weeks, we've needed me to talk for about fifty seconds before both of you get here. (laughs) I'm just inanely rambling.
0: James is not here yet. No
1: technical issues today. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. That that deserves an award in itself. And and here's James. Is this the fastest we've got everyone in here working? Yeah, it is. I mean,
2: it's working.
1: My God, it's very good. Um, Very exciting. Uh, I'm and
2: if, gonna... While I remember to do the important things, I have to remind people listening to the podcast that if they want to be part of this incredible experience and listen live, uh, then they can do so on uh, the Locker Room app. Um, it's easy to download. It's free, and you can follow me and George and Calvin. Um, and uh, you can listen live. You can even contribute. We can even invite you to speak, although we've not quite been brave enough to let loose the rabble um, quite yet. Maybe you could be the first... One to actually bring some sense to this otherwise complete nonsense podcast i was just about to say
1: every week i've been thinking there's this button you can press on the app that's got a a, you know the twitter symbol and you can send out a tweet saying listen live while we're live and i've finally remembered to do it so (laughs) this is the first time i'm doing it i'm pretty excited
2: yeah, um, I don't know if that's very exciting for other people to hear,
1: but I'm glad you said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I, I'm pretty excited. We've got here pretty much on time, and I've remembered to do a tweet during it. Right. Well, since we what have, what more could you want?
2: Let's not waste. Well, we could, we could. We could, I could yeah. put no more wasted time. Let's let's get on with it, George, because it's awards week, and um, we've all dressed up in black tie. Um, you, if you were on the Zoom, which none of you are, you wouldn't be able to see that. Uh, even Calvin's dusted off his nineteen sixties large lapels. Um, he's got a top hat too. on, James.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a, I mean, a, and I'm a cane.
2: <laughs> The top—I don't know how the top hat's staying on, if I'm honest. But um, maybe best not. Indeed, to ask.
0: indeed. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, you will if you follow us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod. You probably will have taken part um, in our awards ceremony. Um, I'm just going to say because it's going to look a lot like I lost, and I'd like to make it clear that I didn't. Uh, we were kind of required to choose different selections for each category. And I made the mistake of picking last and therefore basically got the dregs of the piece, um, as you will see. Uh, It seems easiest, though, to start with the category that came out top of the list. um, ATP Player of the Year, of course. Uh, George nominated Novak Djokovic. Um, uh, Calvin nominated Dominic team. Nominated Dominic team um and i picked rafa nadal i don't know if we had any other entries for this george i think it, probably those three were the clear men really yeah i was
1: just going to say what what's our plan for format here i probably should have discussed this before but we're going to quickly make the case for each person and then reveal i think so result? i think like I think one person exactly-
2: each saying it yeah that'd oh, yeah. be fun okay um my my only note here really was a i had to pick last so i picked nadal um but I, I kind of found myself saying, well, how am I not picking Andre Rublev here? Um, because the guy won five titles. I think he won more APP points than anyone else in 2020. Um, can't be far off, anyway. So I kind of regretted not picking Rublev. But probably on the face of it, you have to pick Nadal on the basis that you know, he did win a Grand Slam. Um, oh, in other great news, George's Jim Chan split his attention between watching Villa and uh, commentating it on a podcast, uh, which I think was quite painful for him in about 10 seconds' time when his stream catches Oh, up. my word. Don't even, don't even say this, James. Don't, yeah, I, can't, I can't have you
1: ruining what's
2: going to happen in the game before it happens as well. Do not okay. do that. Uh, well, why don't you tell me why you nominated um, Novak Djokovic for ATP Player of the Year, George?
1: Yeah, because I don't want to be looking at the other screen at the minute, so I'll happily tell you this. Um, well it 's pretty clear isn 't it I mean he ended the year year end number one I think he i 'm sure he had the most points of anyone i 'd I'd, I'd like to see the figures i, I haven 't calculated that but i 'm pretty sure he had the most points anyway in two thousand and twenty his i can 't imagine anyone 's got a better winning percentage than him. Um, he won the Australian Open he reached the final of the French Open won a master 's one thousand in Rome he won a master 's one thousand in New York at the moved Cincinnati find me someone with a better CV than that. I think people have just got a very, you know, okay, it wasn't necessarily his best year off the court. He's done a lot of sh- stupid things this year, but on the court, there's been no one better. And any, I think anyone putting forward the case that's not Djokovic is suffering from recency bias.
2: Uh, Calvin, you, you had Dominic team. I know you were picking seconds as part of it, but um, how good a year has he had?
0: Um, I'd have had team anyway for a pick first, because Georgia just rolled. Um, <laughs> um, it was. I, I, I think it was close between those two but um, team like, both of them won a Grand Slam both of them lost in a final of a Grand Slam um, Djokovic won a few more tournaments but also team didn't get defaulted for whacking a line judge with a ball <laughs> and, and he, he made the final of the two finals as well beating Djokovic in the semi-finals so mm. I, I think he think he nudged it. Um, I think he had a slightly better year, and I think also, although I'm not sure that we can, that you should sort of judge it on these terms. If you ask them both if they thought they had a good year, um, I think if they were honest, Team would think he did have a good year. I don't think Djokovic would think that he had a great year.
2: Mm. And I suppose you know expectations, as you mentioned with Djokovic, George. Expectations do come into it. You know what you expect from someone in that seat in that year kind of does colour the way, you know, if, if Yannick Sinner had won two Grand Slams and Novak Djokovic had won the other two in every other tournament, you'd probably still say Yannick Sinner because you weren't expecting him to have that year. So I do think that makes a, a certain difference. I have to say... Also,
0: also, also so if I can nip in, James, that Djokovic, has, and I've sort of pushed him on this, has been, he's the best big match player of all time. It's been almost a year since he won a big match once we get to Australia. He's not a city mm. big team in that final. And that's what he does well. And he's not, um, he's not had a great year in those ones, the close matches.
2: Mm. Um, i picked Rafa Raffendal because it seemed obvious. I do regret not picking André Rublev because I could probably make more of a case. But, you know, Raffendal, he did win the French Open and he was absolutely imperious. Probably, possibly the greatest performance in the final of a Grand Slam, certainly that I've ever seen in terms of dominance. Um, so for that reason, almost alone. And, you know, it wasn't like he lost at the Australian Open to a nobody. He lost to Dominic Team at the Australian Open in another pretty good match, really. So he didn't have a bad year. George? Can, can I just say, to revert
1: everything we've heard here, that I actually don't think expectations on their year comes into it. I think the question is, if you swapped one person's season, would you not swap it for anyone else's? And I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't, trade up to Djokovic's season apart from whacking a Lions person in the face with the ball, I accept that <laughs> but I don't think, I, don't, I just don't think if you take the other guys' seasons they wouldn't swap it for Novak's in terms of pure titles won, points at, and year-end number one, I think I think he's the clear favourite
2: No, uh, I think, well, I mean Rafa, what, you say you don't get to win the French but you win the Australian I know he really wants to win the Australian but like, the French is his thing. Now, that's where he's breaking all the records. Yeah, but you if still Rafa, get you, if, if you still Rafa get did, the French... Go on. <laughs> if Rafa didn't win the French, we would sit here and go, has Rafa had that good a year he didn't win the French Open? <laughs> okay, but
1: I'm saying if you strip the context aside of everything and just take the pure numbers of a Grand Slam, two Masters 1000 titles and year and number one, no one's had a better year than that in pure numbers. Okay.
0: You can't really count year-end number one because it's this skewed ranking system that we've He got still now. had it. He still he's, had he's, it without the skewed one. He still would have been world number one, yeah. But I think that team, like I say, didn't get defaulted from a Grand Slam, um, <laughs> and he made final a World Tour final, knocking Djokovic out on the way there. I'm not. I, I think that outweighs. I'd say that the, the thing that Djokovic had in his advantage would be the two Master Series that he won, or the ATP 1000s, whatever we call them now, but. Um, I don't think they're, they're so heavy that they outweigh being defaulted for uh, whacking an umpire and losing <laughs> losing in the final to his closest, losing in the semi to his closest rivals at, at the
2: 0-2. Let's go to the numbers, since we've talked a lot he about also, by the numbers. way,
0: can I, can I also say, he also lost to Medvedev uh, at the 0-2
2: as well. The fewer numbers suggest you would expect Novak Djokovic. Let's take it to the people, because you know that plebiscites solve everything in this country. Um, Novak Djokovic received 34% of the vote. Uh, Rafa Nadal, 15% of the vote. But Dominic Team is the Love Tennis Podcast Listeners Player of the Year with 47% of the vote. Uh, George, I know you'll shout recently, but not doing that for everyone. Come on. No. Dominic Team doesn't need our applause, uh, frankly. He doesn't need anyone's applause. He's his own man. He's he, learned that running can, up with Gunther. He can have this pity trophy.
1: <laughs> the wrong year
2: and Floyd. <laughs> sure, sure. um Let's move on to the WTA. I do feel bad that we've kind of, uh, especially at the last month, not talked much about WTA. But also, there hasn't really been any tennis, so kind of inevitable uh, that we haven't. Um, but George, make your case for the WTA Player of the Year, if you would. I was trying to remember who I went for them, but it's a
1: canyon, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, again, I think I've gone for a pretty pure numbers basis here, she was the top-ranked player based on just points alone this year. I mean, obviously, Ash Barty's ended year at number one, but if we're really looking at the farcical nature of the rankings, that's probably your greatest argument anywhere. Um, I think she, re- well, she won the Australian Open, she reached the final of the French Open, and I love her reaching the final of the French Open just for the fact she was double-bageled in the tournament leading up to it. Like, I think that's just A really great bounce back I I thought she had a great season and quite an understated player in terms of media coverage she's not necessarily the most obvious star but she's outperformed everyone else in my opinion
2: Uh, Calvin you picked Jontek who I know you've been picking for a while in all sorts of ways Um, I mean
0: make your case I suppose yeah, I mean, I wasn't so adamant on this as I was on team. Um, I could easily have taken Ken in. Um, it's a difficult one on the WTA because, as always, there's no dominant player and they tend to be as successful in as many tournaments as they bomb out in the first round. Um, so, it's, um, I, yeah, I think that she had a she had a decent Australian, was it? Have mm. I got that right? She makes semis in the Aussie or quarters. Oh God! Now you're asking. That would think about how long uh, ago that was. Yeah, seems like I, I don't think year.
1: she. I don't think she did. I, I'm pretty. Where, sure where she,
0: was the slam that she had a good runner?
1: She she won the who's Yeah, she won, won the
0: French, but Didn't she? did she have a go?
1: Did she have a good run at one of the others? Or Was that last? I, year? D- I, I don't think. I honestly don't think she'd been beyond the last sixteen at Slam before the French. I might be wrong, but I don't. Right. Think she, she was the fourth round. Run.
2: She was the fourth round of the Australian Open. Yeah.
0: yeah so yeah, that and and winning. Um, but it was also difficult because we didn't have a year-end finals in the women's. So um, it, it was difficult to pick it. I think, you know, I'd, I'd struggle to go anyone other than um, than those two. Um, yeah. It was a nice comeback for Azarenka. But again, didn't really get enough to, I don't think, to nudge either of those two out. I, I wouldn't argue with Georges on that. Kenan probably mm-hmm. did have a better year
2: yeah I mean, I went as you mentioned there as a renka because I think she 's a cracking story. She played a lot of really good tennis she 's won some really big matches you know in a in a curtailed season. they may be coming into focus um a little bit more. She obviously won that title in Cincinnati and then she got the final of the u s and i I just I like her story generally. I know off the court, some people disagree with her, and that she shied away from a few major issues, which may may not be the case um, i 've also got an honorable mention. Um, for Elena Rybakina, who I think is the only woman to have reached five finals this year, um, George, you you going to
1: dispute that? I wasn't. I was. I was just going to say someone else who probably does deserve half a mention would be the other Grand Slam winner, Naomi Osaka. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but,
2: she, but I chose not to. <laughs> no because everyone's going to talk about Naomi Osaka George, I and mean, I want to talk about Yelena Rubikina. She, I think, she had made four finals before the end of February. Like she, 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 lockdown came at a really bad time because she came out like an absolute shot and was just beating almost everyone, albeit not in finals. Um, and then, obviously, you know, it all gets locked down again. But I think she's into the top twenty in the world now, maybe where she's never been before. She'd never won a match at a Grand Slam uh, main draw before, and she won three or four of those. I just think, like, sometimes in the player of the year stuff, yes, it's important to, like, pick out the biggest players. But given that our most improved, I think, is only uh, one Kathy rather than two, I wanted to pick her out. Um, The plebiscite, uh, Calvin picks up his second win of the evening... Uh, Strontek 37% of the votes, Pipping Penning by 5% George absolutely fuming He's chewing his
0: moustache um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd have a quick sort of caveat here That I think the player in both men's and women's Who would be most happy with their year Would be Nick Kyrgios Because he barely played any tennis And, uh, <laughs> and he does it Yeah and I think that would have made him As, as happy as anybody Really <laughs> cool. there's, a, there's a good point
1: from Motoko In the uh, comment section today <laughs> Digging up Naomi Osaka's efforts, but she has also made the very fair point that while we may have been digging out Novak's off-court performances as a, a bit of a factor, uh, she she had a good year as well with kind of stuff off the court with Black Lives Matter movement pushing it yeah, forward. Yeah, with um, various different
2: victims of on on it. And, yeah, yeah, that's a good to point. She, out. she
1: certainly stepped up in terms of a good kind of role model for tennis, didn't she? And and to the Grand Slam yeah. win home as well, so that's
2: definitely worth pointing out. Also worth pointing out: how long ago does that feel? Yeah, that Naomi at the US Open feels like years ago, just absolutely years ago. Um, but yes, thank and that's you what I mean good about the
1: team good. recency bias. Not to keep banging right. on that drum, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, get over People it. People
1: forget yeah. how good Djokovic was at the start of the year. The bloke didn't lose.
2: Anyway, uh, let, let's move on. Um, Calvin, you nominated Yannick Sinner for most improved player of the year. I know it's not who you wanted, but the stipulation here, you have to start the season outside the top 50.
0: Yeah, the, the most improved player was, um, was Rublev. But mm. um, the, the, the rules and bureaucracy something <laughs> uh, got in the way there that <laughs> wasn 't allowed that so um sinner yeah he's um yeah he was expert I just think he proved through the year as well' cause he had a pretty disappointing start as as George and I have spoke about uh previously, we actually had a a podcast um uh not a podcast we had a piece a tactical piece on him didn 't we George at the start yeah uh, that we had ready to go and uh he he kept losing, so it didn 't make much <laughs> sense uh, but, <laughs> We but, um, we actually had it
1: ready for Indian Wells, Calvin. I don't know if you remember. But yeah. Then the tournaments yeah. got called off. So, and and because we built the whole video on a hard court. Yeah. It, it then wasn't quite quite the right timing. But
0: anyway. Yeah. Uh, George, but no, George he, he definitely improved. Um, he, he, he was great um, towards the end of the after after lockdown. Played fantastic.
2: George, you, you film tech, um, I mean, we've spoken a bit about her already. Uh, I think, uh, as you say, her Grand Slam record before this year was incredibly poor, um, yeah. and I think she'd barely barely won a main draw match in a Grand Slam. So, I mean, that's the the key point, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, me, she, she, me and Calvin have been going on about for ages. We think she's massively talented and is a future world number one. Would either of us necessarily have picked her to win a Slam this year? probably not um, based on a slam record thought it might take her a little while to kind of mentally develop. But the way she kind of picked Halep apart at the French Open and then went on to win the whole thing, you know, I, I think following up that win over Halep was arguably the most impressive sort of back-to-back win of the season. It would have been so easy to get ahead of yourself at that point and think, okay, I've taken out the clear favorite here. Um, and she didn't. So I, I, I think she definitely deserves to win it. And I, I hope I'm finally going to win an award because I feel robbed in the first two categories.
2: <laughs> yeah, <confident. laughs> I'm fairly confident. I mean, this is one of those ones where you put Fiontek Sinner and then Rublev was barred. And I felt like, well, who else am I going to pick? Um, Ugo Umbert, who I think was ATP Breakthrough Player of the Year two years ago. Um, but he broke into the top 50 in a very real way this year. Um, I think he's up to 30 now in the world. He'll probably be seeded at the Australian Open, depending on exactly how that works or when that actually is. Um, but either way, he's he's made a big step forward. Um, he actually was another who, like, lockdown came at a pretty bad time because he was in great form in Auckland. He beat Shapovalov and Isner, and then Pair in the final to win a first ATP title. Beat Daniil Medvedev, his first win over a top template. Lots of firsts, basically. Um, and then actually picked up a title in the second half of the year as well. So, yeah, I was actually once I got round to thinking about Ugo Ambers' year, I thought, well, maybe he is the uh, most improved player. But the people disagreed, um, and they backed uh, overwhelmingly Igos uh, uh George's pick. Well done, pick up your first award of the night. They are Thanks. heavier than they look, aren't they? They are. They are. Um, let's move on to the most disappointing because I believe I was uh, my pick was subject to some some criticism here and I'm going to defend myself straight out of the blocks. I picked most disappointing. It wasn't very specific. It was just most disappointing, not player, moment, whatever. And I picked Roger Federer because this was supposed to be Roger Federer's great goodbye tour. You know, it was supposed to be Manny Pacquiao fighting three times in a year, Las Vegas, Manila, Abu Dhabi. It was supposed to be the glorious goodbye. Four Grand Slams, the Olympics the Swiss indoors, and then floods of tears on court (laughs) while shaking hands with, you know, his eight children. Did he know about this? (laughs) Did he know it was meant to be this tour you decided for him? I had actually sent him a letter. Whether he kind of (laughs) planned it in or not, I don't know. But, you know, knee surgery is knee surgery. You don't really get to choose when to have it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I was disappointed in him. I'm saying I'm disappointed in how his year went. Uh, And George, I'm sure that you will say for yours that you weren't disappointed in him. Yes. So I
1: I also received similar criticism for my pick. Um, And again, it was more. So that was Andy Murray in case we we didn't spell it out. Um, Mm. and, And as you said, I think the category itself wasn't that clear. My expectations for Murray were perhaps wrongly slightly higher than they should have been given. He won that title in Antwerp. I know he had a bit of physical issues at the end of the year, but it, it felt like he had some momentum and even when he beat you know Zverev in New York it felt okay this guy can still maybe do something and it it was just such a kind of a poor ending wasn't it really never really got started had that tiny spike and then that great five setter over Nishioca and from there it's been very flat and poor so I, I think it was just one to write off and he accepts the same thing having you know spoken to him that's that's it's been a disappointing
2: year for him, there's no putting that aside mm. but again, not massively in his control in many ways As I've said before, it, uh, it's starting to feel like a long time since Andy Murray was just fit and running around and playing decent tennis um, Calvin, y- your disappointment from this year, Stefano pass. I assume you meant Stefano, not Petros
0: Petros has relatively had a pretty good year <laughs> I mean, he's got, got a load of wild cards, as usual, um, and won a couple of matches, I think. Uh, no, I think with the disappointing things, I don't think there's anything wrong with either of your two's picks, because I think you can either go on what you, hope to hap- what you hoped would happen or what you expect to happen. And I guess both of you guys went on things that you hoped would the players yeah. would achieve. Mine was, was more on who what I expected, and being that he played so well at the uh, the 2 at the back end of 2019... I, I sort of expected that pass would make the step up. Um, he's always the one who I think would be the one to make a step up. Um, although his backhand still is a big question for me. Um, but it, yeah, he's, he's such a strange player, isn't he? That you just don't know what you're going to get, um, hmm. mat, match in, match out, um, and even even at the French, at the at the when he lost to Djokovic he he, sort of looked out of it for two sets and then was fantastic and then was just rubbish again in the fifth. Um, yeah, and then just, really disappointing in the 0-2 as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly wasn't
1: what it felt like it could be for Sysbast, I I do agree with that. I, I was actually going to just cheekily plug that if you haven't read our lovely long chat with Murray this week, any Andy Murray fans out there who may be disappointed with me calling him disappointing, He's uh, given us a very long chat this week that was well worth reading on many different uh, aspects. You can find that on Metro Tennis, so cheeky plug for you. Very
2: good. It's also <laughs> on the eye, but, you know, I'm just not, not that sort of guy. Um, and, I, and I didn't write it, so I'm frankly not interested in plugging it. <laughs> Paul Newman did a great job. Um, the people... I don't know if I was surprised at this. Well, maybe I am, given the, maybe I'm not given the abuse that Georgia and I got. The people's vote, definitely not City Pass, 43% of them. Um, as usual, I lose a vote. Okay, um, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I hope you lost more than me. Fine, <laughs> fine. At least I back Biden. That's the one thing I'll win this year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think as well, the people are always going to help me out there because, as, as we've discussed before, the, the big four have their, very much have their loyal fans um yeah. and they will always try and make sure they're in a good spot so i think they've probably <laughs> all piled on to city pass there yeah I,
1: i'm not gonna lie that's what i'm putting down to djokovic losing that vote george you're, you're still start.
0: going on about <laughs> <laughs> i will not stop wait while we get on to villain of the year <laughs> Look, Novak won big,
2: one big, huge, huge win, Novak. Huge. So sad, so sad. So, <laughs> Novak won bigly. Um, let's move on to match of the year, uh, Calvin. I'm going to get to you first uh, for your Djokovic team Australian Open final. What was the what was so special about it for you?
0: It's just high level, high level. It had crowds there. You know, if you watch it now, it sort of feels like something from a different age. Mm. um or from like we said from from years ago and not not just because of the time i just find it strange that the, the crowds were there and it was it was just a great atmosphere both of them were playing fantastic um and it, it was so tight all the way through it no one ever sort of no one ever got a real foot in the door on, on either of it right until the very end um and team um i remember i was discussing it with with a mate of mine as it was going on and he was having a bit of a pop at team, saying he made bad decisions because uh, I think he made a few errors at, at when he got broke in the fifth. But um, I didn't see it that way. It's, it's the way he plays. He had to go for the shots. He wasn't going to win it without that. And just those really, really high level match. And yeah, I don't think it'd go down in the the great matches of all time. Um, but I think for this year, where we didn't have so many of them, it was excellent. The Aussie, do, the Aussie does tend to bring up some some great matches. To be fair. Um, I wonder if
2: it's of the, I've often wondered if it's the conditions because it's so hot usually. Um, yeah. I've often wondered if it it kind of is a bit of a leveler and matches become a bit more attritional and and you know a bit more physically challenging,
0: which people always like watching. So. There are also the players are fresh as well. I think that that yeah. could have a lot to do with it. So the two two of my favourite matches of all time were both there. the I guess he played Sampras in a semi there one year. I, I don't remember the years. It might be oh one maybe or something like that. Um, I think it was four sets that one, and then uh, Federer against Safin. The year that Safin won it was was one of the great matches of all time. Um, so semi, yeah, semis at the Aussie Open, semis the final <laughs> that brings George, your match
1: of the year. Well, my following on from that theme briefly from Calvin, I think my favourite match of all time was Djokovic Nadal 2012 final. I, I just don't think you'll ever see anything like that again. That that goes down as one of my favorites um but the match i chose for the year I, and i'm going to caveat this again and this, this is the problem with these twitter polls because if we're talking about what i thought was the highest level match of the year then for me that was nadal team that in terms of the highest level quality mm. throughout that that was the best match of quality i saw um the best match though that I put considering the circumstance as well. I I thought Jennifer Brady, Naomi Osaka was probably the most tense, exciting and high quality chucked together match. Um, I really liked Calvin's pick as well. So I I wouldn't begrudge that one winning it. I just felt there were a few more lower moments, more from Djokovic's end actually, where he checked out a little bit in certain points of sets. Whereas I felt Brady and Osaka throughout, and I know it's maybe a little bit easier over three sets than five, Neither of them checked out. It was pretty hardcore, um, hardcore, hard-hitting tennis. Um, so that got
2: my votes. Uh, I went quite left field with this, um, as I want to do. But basically because I like a storyline and I like uh, light and dark and, you know, contrast and shade. And I thought Igor match matchup with Simona Halep in the fourth round of the French Open was a match that we all... Just thought it was gonna be a good match. So, oh, well, Halleck might get pushed here. I think she'd lost about seven games on her way to the uh, to the fourth round, and Sjontek blew her off the court. And it wasn't just the fact that she did that; it was the fact that in the same meeting last the year before, she'd won one game. Now, like not just from a technical perspective, but from a mental perspective, to do that, it it just blew me away. Like uh, as Halleck was on the day, um, Sjontek. Blew her away as well, and uh, I think I think it just uh, it just it was just special from that perspective. So when you said best match, yeah, I took it a bit differently, but um, yeah, I don't know, it was something a little bit different. Uh, The winner, the people's winner, um, is as you might expect, the Australian Open final between Novak Djokovic and Dominic Team, probably the most fans um, in there, as far as I can tell uh now you may not know if you're listening live uh that you are actually able to speak on the podcast um if you're using locker room app you can hit the request to speak app we've never been brave enough to do it george have we got a request to speak we do i think i hope this works now we've picked this up but we were
1: gonna give peter i think it's reggio a go so peter <laughs> blow us away i have no idea what he wants to say but let, let's find out i hope you can
2: make this work george because he hasn't appeared in the room to me. Oh, oh he might have gone out of the room. <laughs> That's hugely disappointing. Right. <laughs> anyway, That's sure so,
1: if anyone else wants to speak, though, please do and tell us your match of the year or something. I mean, yeah, go exactly. mad. We, we were so bravely about to go for it there. We were so excited. Yeah. So, well,
2: Fortunately, some... uh, I used to work in live radio and dropping a caller is not new. Um, it's 2-1 West Ham against Aston Villa, which George is really enjoying. And there's a massive head injury again. God, another one this weekend. Cracky. Claret everywhere Right moving on um, oh, wow. That's another win for Calvin by the way Who's actually just running away with this awards ceremony uh, Ah yeah onto the most competitive Category of the year Shock of the year um, We we basically <laughs> agreed That there was no other Option here But to vote for the Djokovic Line person incident uh, As The shock of the year Uh We've talked a heck of a lot about this incident over the weeks, so I don't necessarily want to go back into it much. Although I don't think it looks any better, cut, you know, a few months down the line. I, I'd, I'd like either of you, if you can think of any, to put forward the case for literally anything else that vaguely shocked you about tennis this year. Um, shock shock no. result. Shock result was Hallett being
1: thrashed by fiancée. Yes. Yeah that that was that was a result that i really sat up and was like holy cow i was not expecting that she won one game right
0: but that, yeah, uh, that was a yeah. massive
2: shot and in a normal year would have been a very solid contender but so it was three games she won one game in shonte won one game in the previous match of the french open hallet won three games in the defeat yeah yeah um yeah it's hard to think of it. i mean that Number one seed losing in, not just losing a straight sets, but losing in absolute dominant straight sets to a girl. She, I think, she, hadn't she also beaten her like two weeks before? I think they had met in the, the last tournament before the French Open, and Hallep had beaten her quite comfortably. Um, but that's just off the top of my head. I don't actually have that in front of me. But anyway. Um,
1: the, the other good shock that I can think of. Good shock. Lorenzo Sonego thumping Djokovic. That was a pretty good shock. By yeah, that scoreline, that was a quite good.
2: In, a bit of inverse recency bias there, I would suspect, just kind of not giving it its due prominence because it was so recent, and and in like a sort of separate part of the season that I don't think we gave a lot of credit because it was quite a weird, like you know, the European indoor swing was quite weird. George has just seen Aston Villa miss a penalty. Yeah. Considerably just <laughs> screaming George's face while Villa plays. <laughs> I,
1: I, you know, I actually hadn't seen the miss yet. I just got a load of text through from people being like, this penalty record's diabolical, which kind of spoils it. Yeah, so yeah, not, I not,
0: wishing, <laughs> not wishing to move <laughs> off tennis, George, but the guy's missed four out of his six penalties this season. Like, <laughs> why, is, why is he still taking penalties? Do you have anyone else? <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, only you had like, if only you had, like, a really... Four out of forward, six this season, is that true? Yeah, they just... Well, he missed three out of five before he took that one. And spoiler alert, he, like, he missed this one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Was that this anyway. season? I don't think we've had five, but anyway, I might be wrong. But... He just said his
2: penalty record, so...
1: Oh, yeah, he's, he's off his line, surely. Sorry, I'll stop being distracted by this, but... That's
2: fine, that, I'm really... really annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. It's, it's a lot more fun for me. Um, but yeah, I don't think anything matches... <laughs> Uh, Novak Djokovic whacking a ball at a line judge's throat, I'm afraid. Um, which brings us nicely onto Villain of the Year, uh, for which I picked uh, Novak Djokovic because I think it it was such a, a monumental incident um, and he also ran a sort of um, COVID holiday camp um, in Serbia, which was <laughs> not particularly clever. Uh, but you both picked Alexander Zverev. Who'd like to plough into him first?
0: Um, I- I'll go. Um, you've been waiting
2: for this for about two
0: weeks (laughs) Uh, no I mean there's nothing really to say on it he's just behaved like an absolute mong hasn't he all season Um, just doesn't have first in what he did uh, first in the things he does and then his repeated refusal to apologise or even acknowledge that there was anything wrong with the stuff he's done Um, and then even if you took away Even if you took away one of either what the things he has in inverted commas allegedly done and um, uh, or how he responds to them, I think he'd still be villain of the year because they're both so ridiculous in themselves. And that doesn't even include the the sort of the reasons why I've picked him in that role. Don't even include the way he's behaved with the virus. (laughs) It's
2: pretty staggering. George, maybe you'd like to have a pop of his covid reliance.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to lead off on the COVID stuff. I mean, nothing sums him up as the level of tool he's been this year. Um, Better than him. uh, Going to the Adria tour, putting out one of these ridiculously tepid statements, promising to stay at home for two weeks, apologising deeply and regretting their actions of dancing topless in the nightclub and all this, and then less than a week later being caught on a bloody yacht in Monte Carlo dancing away in the room. I mean he was just a grade A spoon, as I'm gonna call him, rather than a more offensive word.
2: He's done a he's done a Rita Aura to to put it in uh, to put it in the terms of the model.
1: Yep.
2: Possibly worse than Rita Ora.
1: Yeah, because he was actually seriously exposed. He didn't know he didn't have it. He could have just gone and given it to a load of other people then. Like yeah. he was well within that zone. So yeah, he he was a I'm, I'm running out of a spatula, I'll go for next. Yeah, Moving I mean, around then, <laughs> you Even the items.
0: Even look at the uh, things that I would argue
2: um, look, it's not a spatula, George, because a is quite handy. <laughs> Very
1: true. <laughs>
0: but, uh, but even just look at look at the grief that Rita ora has got, rightly. And then she's pretty much done done one of the things that Zverev has done this year. (laughs) And then if if she had done like an an extra like six things that that would get the same sort of bad publicity, that's Mm. where you'd end up with with, uh, Zverev. She did
2: that weird advert in CGI. I mean, that was pretty bad. Uh,
0: True, true. She shouldn't be. She
2: shouldn't escape that without... uh, Probably
0: made some music as well, as well, so. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, let's let's move on to some happier happier things. Um, so did we best... win there? Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, uh, Zverev did win by virtue of having two places on the docket. Um, <laughs> with uh... but Djokovic ran him quite close, didn't he? Still. I think. <laughs> Well, no, not when you combine the two. Sixty-one percent, fifty-one percent, sorry, uh, uh, and forty-two percent Djokovic. So that's um... quite close, considering Zverev had two counters. Mm, it's not that close. No, <laughs> big big win. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um let's move on to the best moment uh george why don't you tell us about dominic team's first grand slam win and why why you nominated that as your best moment
1: yeah so I, I i almost went for joe salisbury winning a grand slam to let my british bias come in but then i thought <laughs> actually dominic team's more likely to bring me home the overall chance of winning That's the knight's awards um but yeah I, I realized i i'd kind of snubbed team in my atp player of the year which would be a reasonable second best choice for that um and i i thought he deserved some recognition so i i picked him for this it was great to kind of finally break the stranglehold the big three have had since the australian open in 2017 where they've They'd won every slam before. Um, the yeah, let's,
2: let's let's be let's be clear. We've been absolutely like literally every grand slam. We're crying out for this to happen, and it finally happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it, it was great for him. And let's be honest, it's the guy who deserved it most from the rest of the tour. This was his fourth slam final. He'd only lost to the big three. Okay, he didn't play his best final, but he still got there in the end. And it it was a, a great moment, I thought, for tennis. So well done, him
2: um calvin you you did let your british bias show and, and picked uh, andy murray beating nishioka maybe for people who can't remember that match just tell us a little bit about what happened uh
0: yeah basically murray was two sets to love down i think he was two sets to love and a breakdown was he i think that's right yeah yeah um and yeah it, it was just i'm not gonna say he played fantastic from that stage he, he kind of he, he he did what Murray does. He made a lot of balls and he, he actually did a fair bit of attacking. He went after second serves and it was just a sort of unlucky. Unfortunately, it didn't really come to anything after that. And that match probably cost him doing any better, but, uh, it was just good to see him back competing and doing the things. What he has always done, uh, being sloppy early on in matches and then finding a way to win. Um, and I think it meant a lot to him as well. um, but I think it it sort of raised the question again of how can he play, how can he do the things, what he's always done in his career and and get away with it now when there's some questions about his body. Mm. Yeah,
2: I mean it was nice to see some of the the old Murray grit though, I think that's you know, that was kind of something just, uh, it was like the old days briefly, Uh, not the same level not the same opponent and as you say, didn't play the same but to get
0: a bit of that, you know, the Murray fist pump. A lot of it is. A lot of it was classic Murray, because I think the US Open, more than any other slam, is the one where he, he always sort of, you know, it, it, it's a bit all over the shop at the start of matches. I think he had one match there one year against Manorino, where was he two sets to love down or something like that? He always seems to find himself down at, at the US Open early and, and ends up coming back and winning. Um but, um, it, yeah, it was enjoyable and I think, you know, he deserved it. And I guess it came about as well not too long after the, the documentary came out, maybe mm. sort of a couple of months after that came out. So that sort of played into it a bit as well for people who'd watched it and watched the match um, mm. as well.
2: I love a good narrative arc. Who doesn't? Um, and, yeah. well, actually, for once, I didn't pick the narrative arc. I just picked the best set of tennis I've seen in a Grand Slam final which is Raf Nadal steamrolling Novak Djokovic, six love in the first set of the French Open final. I mean, in what is a very storied rivalry, probably the second best rivalry of of our generation, after Nadal, Federer. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, George is going to disagree with almost everything I say here. Um, the uh, The fact that he pulled out, you know, a scoreline that just doesn't make sense between those two, although I admit he had actually done it a year before at the Italian Open, but had then lost the second set. Um, Whereas on this occasion, he bageled him and then really didn't let up that much. I think Djokovic was in it a bit in the second set, maybe, but never really that close. George, disagree? I wasn't particularly going to disagree. I think that was definitely an intriguing
1: moment. Um, I was just going to say that that was, Djokovic probably played the best I've ever seen anyone play in a bagel set in that set I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think it hard lasted hard, it? about 45 minutes it was a pretty high quality set um, so, yeah, it was crazy so that, I think that right? match was, it was really bonkers mm. I think on the, on the rivalry
0: then, <laughs> sorry, sorry James quickly um, on the rivalry um, thing I'm not sure whether it's still the case but isn't, wasn't it that Murray and Djokovic had played more slam finals than any of the other potential rivalries against each other or have they been? I know it was a couple of years ago. I don't know whether they've been overtaken by uh, Djokovic and Nadal.
2: It, yeah, it might well be. I mean, they've certainly played more than Federer and Nadal, for example. Yeah, yeah. I always
0: found that sort of an interesting stat. Probably not very interesting to anyone else, though. So.
2: <laughs> there's certainly yeah. something in that. I think there's, there's definitely, you know, it's something people often throw at Federer about his early Grand Slams, that he won a lot of finals against relative nobodies. Um, yeah. and you know, it's what people say about uh, George, you don't think they were relative nobodies? Roger Federer's first four Grand Slam final opponents? My my wince was at Villa
1: there actually, but um
2: you know always, I've made this case in, a lot.
0: It's always an interesting one that, you know, they're not nobodies. you know, Roddick, Safin. Um they're not Bagdadis. nobodies. they're Philipsis. not. Yet. Then they're just Isn't not. Isn't there a Spanish um, one,
2: a Chile- Chilean one? I can never remember the name of Gonzalez. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean the argument would be you can only beat what's in front of you. But um, I, I think that that's what makes Djokovic the best ever. The players who he's beat on his way yeah. to those slams. Um, but I still maintain that two thousand and four, five Federer was maybe the highest level that any of them have ever played. Mm.
2: Um. Right, the, the vote on the best moment of the year was incredibly close. It's the closest one that we've had, and it was won by Rafnadel's bagel in the first set. Finally, picking up an award. Well
1: done, James.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. That's
1: like a um, consolation goal after you're
2: six nil down in the night. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, hugely. <laughs> um, really means nothing at all. <laughs> um, let's move on to worst moment. I'm just going to get mine out of the way early because I got a staggeringly low vote for the fact that when I borrowed George's old iPhone to set up this podcast on Locker Room, I was logged into his hinge for a couple of days and unable to stop it buzzing because I've given up the iPhone. I've retracted myself from the iPhone after race and I couldn't work out how to stop it. I'm not going to say it was relentless because George isn't that popular, but there was a
0: mess, and I didn't feed it. But let's move does, on. Does there's you, a low vote. There's a low vote, and that suggests that that was a great moment. Uh, like only got one percent. I don't <laughs> want to think about that. Uh, George, it, it suggests
1: that many people who follow our podcast have perhaps been dating me and totally disagree well. that was a bad moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, that might actually be the case. Uh, I was actually going to put something Wimbledon related because the realisation, which came much longer after Wimbledon was cancelled, the realisation that I wasn't going to get two weeks of the Wimbledon canteen, which usually keeps me going for about six weeks, um, really did did get me down. George, I know that Wimbledon being cancelled was your low moment of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's first time it's not happened since the Second World War.
1: Um, I think when you put it in that context, it's hugely significant. I mean, I... I kind of wanted to just say coronavirus was the worst moment of the year, but I thought that was that was too long spanning. Um, You've had it, haven't you? I did have it, yeah. I've I've had an antibody test to prove I had it as well. So for a while, I was one of the safest people in the UK, which is probably why my Hinge profile was so popular around that time. Mm, let's um, face it,
2: George. COVID-19 <laughs> is not the only infection
1: disease you've had. <laughs> uh, disclaimer, I've not had any other infections. Sure. <laughs> that James sure. implying um, was that. Yeah. What the, was that what the Hinge was <laughs> in <like that? laughs> this is going off in a direction I really don't want it to (laughs) I'm going to take it back to Wimbledon now Um, (laughs) Um, yeah look it's obviously a hugely historic tournament it's something that's a big part of our lives not just because we work in the sport because we've always grown up with it and I think a lot of people really miss the British summer of sport that we've grown so accustomed to Um, so I thought that was a hugely sad moment for tennis and fortunately it doesn't look like it's going to happen again and we don't ever have to consider that as a worst moment again hopefully in our lifetimes
2: and hopefully we won't have to consider calvin's worst moment either which was just having no crowds um at tennis you've not adapted to it then calvin it's still weird to watch on tv
0: yeah i think well all sport really um i don't think it's really real sport that we're sort of witnessing at the minute it's kind of a A half-assed sort of effort at it um and it's i just don't think it's as enjoyable i don't think for even for the wins and that kind of thing it's not i struggle to see them as proper wins um because you're taking a part of elite level sport is being able to compete in front of thousands of people and tens of thousands of people and where we're sort of taking that out of it that they're sort of glorified practice matches a lot of the things at mm-hmm. it, minute and uh, I think it's important that we try and obviously safely get back to getting crowds in as soon as we can I'm, I'm a bit concerned that they're going to sort of do it quite slowly um, and we still might not have full stadiums a year from now um, but maybe we will I don't know but if if we're sort of looking at football and they're just saying two or four thousand people in um, I'm not sure that makes much difference. Although, didn't one of you guys say that the Aussie Open are having crowds in? If yeah. We
2: yeah. I mean, if we have time at the end, it'd be good to chat a little bit about the Aussie Open, actually. But um, yeah. just on that, just a point that's occurred to me, obviously at the moment, um, if you're in, well, the tier system hasn't come in England yet um, and may not actually, but that's a parliamentary point. Um but- the 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 best you can have is four thousand or half the capacity, whichever is lower. That's outdoors. So, yeah. if in theory you had half the center court, so you can four thousand um, in center court, and then they shut the roof, do, would you then have to boot everyone out because oh. you are going from an outdoor event to an indoor event? <laughs> I think you, Very good question. you might have to.
0: Very good question.
2: Which would be. One of the most remarkable. Can you imagine? Oh, sorry, it's raining. They're going to keep playing, but you have to leave. You can't watch it. Yeah.
0: How, how do you sell the tickets? Do you sell them <laughs> or do you, do you
2: buy a priority ticket? or? Well, let's hope we don't have to find out because that uh, would be a particularly kind of 1984 Orwellian yeah. situation. Um, going to the polls, Orwellian polls, uh, Wimbledon cancellation, just pipping, uh, having no crowds. And I, I think. George, you're right. It was um, a very emotive moment because Wimbledon is, to British people anyway, a lot more than the tennis tournament. Lots of people who don't watch tennis any other time of the year will watch Wimbledon and, you know, drink pims and eat strawberries and sometimes queue up for tickets. So, yeah, go on. That
1: is one of the most common questions I get on dating apps, is what I do for work outside those two weeks of
2: the year. So that, that gives you uh, <laughs> an insight into the national psyche. It's like when you, uh, this is a very, very niche point, but you know when you or I have to do a random late shift on a Monday, um, <laughs> people say, oh, what sport's happening at 11 o'clock on a Monday? It doesn't really work like that anymore. George is celebrating wildly because he agrees with me so much and not the walking <laughs> He's offside, George.
0: He's offside. No, he's... I think. Oh, my God, God. His knee's off. His knee's offside,
2: off, then it's... His knee's off. Is... that's
0: offside, it's getting ridiculous.
2: George is broken. They're going to give
1: that offside. Head. Oh, my word. I'm losing my head here. I mean, he is.
2: It's... He's going he off. to be off. That knee's going to be off. Ollie Watkins' his knee is offside. Oh, this is killing oh, well. me, this. Is his toe not there? <laughs> Let... All right. George, anyway, sorry. Why don't... Why, don't we, uh, why don't you tell me about your shot of the year?
1: Yes, uh, I went for um, Mikhail Yima's um, effort. Is that how
2: against,
0: you say it? No. Yima. It's Ema, isn't it? Ema.
1: There we go. Ema. Ema. I, was, I was thinking, why is this happening to Aston Villa <laughs> rather, than, rather than ease not offside? <laughs> this is so close. This. I, you're ahead of me, so you probably know if it's actually off or not, but uh, um, yeah, I'm well, hoping it's going to be on. Okay, maybe he's going to be on. This looks better, actually, from this angle. Sure, anyway, this, um, isn't, this isn't good radio. This isn't good radio, sorry. Ima, um, he, yeah, it's a fantastic point. I mean, this is always quite hard to do, this sort of shot of the year, but I think Ema's probably the easiest one to describe. I think Calvin's shot will sound quite underwhelming when described on radio, but here's, here's the vision of my one. He's um, been drawn into the net by Novak Djokovic, He's then been cheekily lobbed by the Serb, who's followed his lob into the into the net. And it's worth saying at this point, is getting absolutely hammered by Djokovic. I mean, this guy was getting pummeled left, right and centre, first round of the French Open. And he comes up with this astonishing tweener passing shot and gets a lovely round of applause from Novak. And I imagine the 2,000 French people who are in there loving it, um, and it's a great token for him, and was my favourite shot of the year.
2: Um, Calvin, we, we discussed your shot of the year on last week's podcast, um, so I won't necessarily ask you to do it again, but I thought the best way to sum it up was that if you told Novak Djokovic what Dominic team was going to do, and let him stand anywhere he wanted, he would have stood in the same place, and still been
0: beaten by us. Um, yeah, still back- wouldn't go rookie on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No. um yeah um, and, and also sort of fr- aside from what i said last week about it, cause like you say i described it then i also think in any when when we do any shot of the year or goal of the year i think it should also be taken in context as well of when it happens in a match because i think all the the great goals the great shots the great plays come in the big moments um yeah. and um so <laughs> george just found out that goals rule upside <laughs> 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 um, and um and you, you know so i think that, that that plays a part in it and that goal that shot came at uh, um 5-4 in the final set tiebreak of the semi-finals of the world tour finals against the world number 1 yeah. um so i think that sort of that that sort of adds extra to it but i also think the other shots as as great as they were to watch and and that i'll give george that the ema 1 was maybe the best hot dog i've ever seen they're just kind of freak shots that they're sort of caution to the wind shots that players hit uh, that wasn't what teams was it was a in inverted commas a genuine tennis shot that he would want to play at any stage in the match
2: mm. um i was struggling on this one but someone reminded me of the <laughs> even, even uh, no look spinning winner um, at the ATP Cup, which I have to say, if you go to at Love Tennis on Twitter, you will find uh, the video. I mean, it's it's incredible um, anticipation, you know. I mean, even Dodig lives the life. By the way, he's a Croatian doubles player. He lives in the Bahamas, plays about eight tournaments a year. Seems to have pretty much life worked out. To be perfectly honest, um, I think he's got doubles worked out as well. Uh, because basically the ball is volleyed behind him, and instead of reaching across, he, he goes behind himself to to make the backhand. It, it's I, I mean, go and watch it. It really it, it it made me kind of. I tried to do it actually. I when I rewatched the video, I in my study tried to like do the move. I couldn't even do it. Like I don't. I haven't done enough yoga <laughs> under lockdown to actually bend my body in that particular shape. Um, But it wasn't enough to convince the people. Uh, They actually... I was surprised at this because people are quite basic and they like spectacular shots, but they went for Calvin's uh, backhand cross-court winner. So perhaps his impassioned speech in support of it last week um, was enough to win them over. I think um, podcaster of the year, by the way, uh, is Calvin Betton because he's won just about every award going. (laughs) Um, So, Calvin supports that.
0: Can I I just say as well a mention to... um... Dan Evans hit a fantastic lob at the ATP Cup. That if Team hadn't have done that, that would have been my shot of the year. Um, mm. It was a phenomenal lob against. Yeah. I think it was against Goff. He did two, didn't he? He Did two great lobs. One, one is Diminor.
1: Is the one? that I is really is the best loved. one. Yeah, yeah. I, that, yeah, that I was remember. second on James's memory. Actually, that right. one. Okay. Yeah. Was yeah. The, that was yeah. the second one he
2: remembers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, phenomenal he's shot. Got got five minutes left in our slot kind of um, arbitrary slot we should just touch on the Australian Open stuff George you can maybe give us a quick rundown of this. Um, Essentially Australian Open briefing that they might end up pushing the tournament back a week or two which you know is not an easy thing to do is it?
1: No it's not I mean um, there's quite a lucrative broadcast deal with Channel 9 there um, and for those of you who know how these deals work, moving the dates around can lead to quite a significant negotiation on what revenues actually owed by broadcasters who are claiming you've kind of um broken the deal because it's not such an ideal slot, for example. Um so it is definitely an option they wouldn't be doing unless they absolutely had to. Um but I think, as I kind of alluded to when we last spoke about this properly two weeks ago, I didn't really see any solution for it. Um, the The big problem they've had is the fact that in Australia, they've only been letting a certain number of nationals home a week, which is somewhere between four and 6,000. Um, and the idea of shipping over 1,000 tennis players and coaches before Christmas when so many Australians can't get back, Uh, didn't look particularly good for the optics so there was a sudden big political wave where they said right these players can't come into the country before december the 31st um so that that's been the biggest reason why this quarantine hasn't been able to happen as was originally planned um so that's now left them with a big issue where they were trying to sort out, okay, can we get players practicing during quarantine that as far as I'm aware, still hasn't been a hundred percent decided, but they are quite confident about that being allowed now. And the hotel, I think the latest briefing today I briefly saw was the crown hotel, um, in Victoria that they're going to be able to have kind of a big sort of bubble quarantine hotel. I think it's the latest plan. Um, which I think would allow them to be practising on-site at the hotel. But they were also trying to arrange, similar to how like the US Open, they were allowed to compete in Cincinnati during those kind of quarantine periods. Um, yeah. but, but that that's not being allowed. So basically, they have a few decisions in terms of, OK, we've got all these tournaments we wanted to build before the Australian Open that we always have as a kind of pre-season running up um how many can we save i don't think the atp cup will be saved but i might be wrong but i i I just don't think that's going to work that was going to be reduced team anyway and it's such a faff with the qualification now um so i think that'll be gone so you'll likely get one maybe two weeks worth of warm-up tournaments in the australian open starting obviously qualifying will probably start during the second set of warm-up weeks if they do that um and then have the australian open two weeks after it was meant to start hopefully that was succinct enough sorry I, I know i can drone on a little bit on these things but
2: I hope that no was okay. i think it's important it's important <coughs> um, uh, actually probably easier to understand than some of your writing i would argue um <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it seems to me that there is an enormous determination down under not to postpone or a different bit of the year or you know that seems pretty unpalatable um and I suppose the problem is, as you say, the broadcast deal, but also, you know, moving things when you've got fans coming in can cause problems. I mean, I suppose if you've not already sold tickets, you're probably a little bit more flexible on that front. Um, but I would still kind of feel that, you know, though they are planning on having fans in, in stadiums, um, then it, it can be a bit more tricky um, if you're moving dates. But like I said, if they've not sold tickets, I mean, I just bought uh, tickets to the Rugby League World Cup a year in advance. Um, but I assume the Australian Open didn't do that because
1: they had the foresight not to. There, there are there are plans for at least fifty percent fans in Australia, which I think yeah. will happen. And that's uh, that's a great that. thing for. Yeah. I think it'll be one of the best populated sporting events because of the tight restrictions there. But it's because of how many fans they want in that the, the tennis restrictions have been so difficult to kind of get over the line there. Um,
2: well, I don't know if you. I mean, you probably didn't watch much of the rugby from New Zealand over the last couple of weekends, George. But I, I've kind of been okay with watching sport without fans. I haven't been too bothered by it. I've quite enjoyed being able to hear things we can't normally hear. And then I watched the game of rugby with a full stadium in New Zealand, and I love watching rugby in New Zealand anyway. And it blew me away. Like it just, it was, it was really special. Actually, it was, it was weird to say it, but it was genuinely like. This is really cool.
0: Like, have they got full stuff? They got full stadiums, then, George, in you know, New Zealand.
2: Yeah, looked at. Um, right. I mean, I, I actually don't know, but yeah, I mean, they they
0: okay.
2: largely eradicated COVID nineteen in New Zealand. Um, okay. I, I think there was a point when they had zero COVID. I don't know if they're still at that point, but um, yeah, you know, the small nation, quite um, quite rural, only what four yeah. million people or something. It's an island, so you know they've obviously handled it better because they handled everything mm. better. But, It was special, and hopefully the Australian Open, as and when it comes, uh, will also be special. Um, George, Calvin, thank you very much, as always, for joining. Cheers, mate. Congratulations, Calvin, on all your awards. Um, If you are in the UK, stay safe, obey the rules. If you're not in the UK, stay safe, wherever you are. Um, And if you're listening to the podcast, please do leave us a review and a rating. Uh, They help other people find us, and they are important. Thank you, VAR. You've ruined my life. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)